0: It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. Here is the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie, only a movie, only a movie. Take as much as you can. Only
1: a movie. For this, uh, every every young people, uh, new director, want to make a picture, Thinking. It's not easy because you, you pass many humiliation. Many people say you are stupid, you are nothing, you are the uh, the shit. You are and you keep calm. Don't becomes crazy. Don't scream. Don't fade. Calm, calm. This is uh, the one thing, because the movie uh, the most movie in the, is humiliation. And people say, people screaming you. People say you are shit. Fuck off. This is everything, every moment. But we must to stay calm, calm and say, okay, this is my first picture.
2: Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Captain and Dave. Hello. Hey-o. Hello. Right on, bro. This week, we are kicking off a four part podcast series of decades in horror, beginning with the 1970s, which just so happens to be my week. Finally,
3: Hey-o. it's all about
2: <laughs> me tonight. I couldn't <laughs> be more excited. So we're going to talk about the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the aughts. And I wanted to, you know, we've talked about a lot of of classic 70s horror. I I think of the 70s as being the first uh, full decade of what we think of as new horror now, like contemporary horror that had its beginnings in the mid to late 60s. We've talked about that. But the 70s, I feel like, is when you know it really uh, came into bloom. And we've talked about so much from that era, but there have been a couple pretty like glaring omissions in in my mind. So I wanna start with 1972's Last House on the Left, directed by Wes Craven, written by Wes Craven, produced by and billed as presented by Sean S. Cunningham, who we just talked about, directed uh, the first Friday the 13th. Also, uh, Steve Miner, who directed the second and third installments of Friday the 13th was a production assistant on this film and even plays uh, a role as an extra in this. So I think it's interesting that even though we talked about Friday the 13th being kind of like a cash in rip off of Halloween, these same people were like all in cahoots a decade before that. So it wasn't like, you know, Sean S Cunningham was just like an ad exec. He was involved in the last house on the left. This is on Hulu right now. And it's like around you can you can rent it. Uh, this is based on the 1960 film *The Virgin Spring*, um, made by Ingmar Bergman, which was based on some like Swedish uh, folk song or something about that. Um, uh, kind of high-minded aspirations in this one. To me, this is like the grime king of all horror. It, Today, I think it still holds up as the Grime Father. This is just very <laughs> sleazy. I mean, this movie is filth. It's, it's pure filth, but it's so mm-hmm. powerful. It's so well done. I, this is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. This is the story of young Mary on the eve of her 17th birthday. She and her friend Phyllis are heading into the big city from the rural town where they live to see a rock band called Bloodlust which is pretty Mm. funny. And uh, they decide on the way to the show, they're doing some drinking. They decide it would be good to, uh, you know, try to score some marijuana and uh, things go downhill rapidly from there. There is like a big twist in this that I don't consider a spoiler at all. and, And we can get to that, but the whole point of the story sort of evolves after their troubles um, Mary's family becomes involved in the whole thing. I, th- I think this movie is still so powerful. I think it still works so well. I'm kind of in awe of how a first-time filmmaker like Wes Craven, this, this long ago, could make something that still is so skeezy and so like realistic and grimy. I think there are, are a few different reasons for why this movie still holds so much power, but, um, you know, it's, it's not the easiest watch. There's a lot of tough stuff in this, but I think this is an incredible movie. Kevin, what did you
3: think? Uh, I, I agree with you. It's, it's grimy. I, I love that you describe this movie as grimy. It's gross. It's super gross. It's also very like off putting and it keeps you like off balance because, uh, the score in this movie is so ridiculous that it reminded me of Ravenous that we talked about in the, I think the cannibal episode. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so over the top and that's going to actually come up in some of the flicks that you guys have also picked for some of your uh, future decades episodes. Um, It's, it's Mary Collingwood, by the way, Trent It's the Collingwoods that, that uh, are the ultimate victims or I guess they're both, Protagonists and antagonists in this Um, I agree with you It's interesting knowing Especially so so close to talking About Sean Cunningham And obviously talking about Wes Craven In prior weeks Like to know that they were sort of in cahoots And like they kind of had an idea That you could make some money Off of horror And that 1972 Is a, a really crazy early time To have a movie like Last House on the Left and to have some of the subject matter that you do, and it, it's clearly cobbled together. They had whoever they could act in it, and they had whoever they could score it. Um, but yeah, it still holds up as like sort of shocking to me, which I didn't think it would. Like When you picked it, I was ready to be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this movie. I love this movie. I understand, as a horror fan, the significance of this movie in the the annals of horror, but I, I definitely didn't expect it to hold up from like a oh man, it still makes my skin crawl. It's yes. not it's it's not a good movie at all, but it it, it affects you still to this day. Um it's it's I, I don't want to compare this to Texas Chainsaw in any way, shape or form. I would. But it's a daytime horror movie that I could still watch on a sunny day and have really bad feelings about it, which TCM still does. I think I mentioned in one of our previous episodes, I still watch Texas Chainsaw. I pick a summer day when it's beautiful outside. I open the windows. I watch Texas Chainsaw just to see if it still makes my skin crawl, and it does. And Last House did that for me. I watch it on a gorgeous, gorgeous summer day in, in Memphis. And I was like, I feel fucking sick. Um, the act, the acting, you know, questionable, like any movie you're going to get from a first time filmmaker. Um, and then I also like to bring it back to TCM. I thought like, I think that, that, that this obviously gave Cunningham a bunch of ideas for Friday the 13th. Like, like I never thought about this until we did this like succession of episodes, but obviously Cunningham working with Craven that gave him a bunch of ideas for Friday the 13th. But I also think it gave Toby Hooper a bunch of ideas for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There are a lot of very similar scenes in Last House on the Left that Hooper would do better in TCM. But I think he got them from Last House. Like there's some of the chase scenes, there's some of the kill scenes, the dinner scene. There's a very subtle dinner scene in this movie yeah. where the the bad guys have end uh, ended up at Mary's house and they're having dinner with her parents, and they're all wearing suits and trying to like not look like total shit bags. Uh, that I was like immediately like, wow, like I, I can kind of see where from like the early seventies to like the early eighties where all of these people were taking inspiration from each other. And we've talked about that with horror a lot. That all of that stuff is done out of respect. And it's not like ripoffs, it's not like, you know, like the mockbusters that we've talked about and stuff like in horror that stuff is really done out of respect. Uh, so I would say I I really, really love this movie. Uh it's not a great movie by any stretch of like like cinematic achievement, but it's 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 you have to watch this movie if you want to understand how horror evolved in America from the 70s all the way through like late 80s.
0: Yeah, this one is definitely a tough watch, but as a horror fan, I think it's definitely a necessary watch. Um, It establishes what I feel is the epitome of evil in this world. Uh, Craven made these horrendous characters who you have no sympathy for, except maybe the sun for like a little bit. So you're just kind of forced to watch these sadistic psychopaths unleash um, terrible things upon like the most vulnerable of characters. It's definitely hard watching the girls try and escape through the woods because you want them to free themselves from these people so badly. But in your heart of hearts, you know, it's probably not going to happen, but that doesn't stop you from like holding out hope until that hope is futile and you realize it. But then the parents come into play and that hope kind of reemerges a little bit. You know, these two parents are pretty badass comparatively to what, other parents could have done in this situation and once they realize what happened to their daughter they kind of kick things up a notch which was fun um fun isn't a way to describe it i guess uh the mom is absolutely my hero uh in this film for obvious uh, genital biting reasons and oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> dick bite I did, dick, bite, dick bite
0: um she does really well at playing my games with one of the shitbirds birds that she encounters. So that part was like very interesting to watch. Uh, then, of course, we've got Papa Bear who comes in hot with that chainsaw and goes ballistic on the super douche of the group. Uh, it was very, you know, a sad. It was a satisfying moment as a viewer, but it's not like you felt great about anything. Um, it's not like I left that movie being like, all right. I'm going to go seize the day now. Let me go run some errands. Um, I do love that last scene though, where the idiot cops just kind of like show up and they're like, what? Oh, and then gently take the chainsaw away while the two parents are in like a state of shock of what they've just realized, like what they were capable of in that situation. But yeah, it's very gory. uh, very stressful. Personally, but it's a classic nonetheless. And I think it's an important horror film and I'm glad that you made me watch it, Trent. So thank you very much.
2: Oh, oh good. I'm glad. I'm
0: glad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was a better review than I expected. If, if the Yeah.
3: If, well, I think if the Same. listeners could see Kat's eyes when she said, thank you very much, Trent, um, there's a lot more behind those eyes than oh. uh, what you're going to hear on audio.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I, I was say I was saying earlier, I was like, had this been a pick, Earlier in the podcast, like in the first, I don't know, like fifteen episodes, I probably would have experienced it in a different way. But watching it after you know all the shit that I've had to endure, I was kind of like, yeah, the before times. The before times. (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, that kind of sucks. Sucks for them. Next (laughs) scene, please.
1: (laughs) You know, you know the thing about the dick biting scene is, uh, you know, I think it's as if I were her husband, I would prefer, I mean, maybe something else. Like if a woman like broke into our house right now, I would not be like, all right, Caitlin, I'll eat her out. You hide the money. You know what I mean? Like,
2: like it's like,
1: it's like, can't you th- hit him over the head with a rock or something? Did you really have to go there? But, um, but I did respect that about it. And that's the thing I like about the seventies is the seventies was when Films started getting a little bit more controversial, and then, you know, we've been talking about the 80s, and you hit the 80s, and you get VHS, and then that's when the floodgates opened to what we have now, which is, you know, everything but the kitchen sink. But the 70s started, like, the controversy, and I feel like this is, like, you know, the controversy uh, that is, like, the backlash to Reefer Madness, because in this, I mean, this is all dude, just get some weed. I mean, they just, I remember we used to just try to chill out. Like, we want to chill out and hang out and look at the stars. And you'd have to, like, risk your life and go to some really sketchy dude in some weird part of town just to get some weed. And I think this is a good PSA. I remember, for, like, those days, yeah. legalize it. <laughs> legalize it. It's legalized here, but I mean... (laughs) If they could have just gone to a dispensary, this all would have been avoided. You know, you talk a lot, you guys all talked about the dark nature of this, how disturbing it is. Um, And I like this movie. I do think uh, it does make my skin crawl, just like you guys said. But um, luckily, there's plenty of comic relief in between all the really horrific parts. And it's like uh, someone reached into a grab a grab bag of like cassettes and pick the music and some of the fast forward bumbling cop stuff. It's really weird. It, it almost makes it more unsettling. Yes. It makes me feel like this movie yes. is amazing kind of on accident, but yes. that doesn't mean it's not amazing or that people didn't try, but there's some bad combinations and maybe some bad collaborators like or maybe it was just the time, like I don't know what year they figured out that uh, you can't have like disco funk when people are being murdered or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But um, aside from that, um, I really liked it. Um, the blooper death—the um, what? When the girl dies in the water. Oh my god! They drag her insane. body out Ugh. of the water. Oh my god! They originally had it. Uh, that she was still alive. Yeah. And then they changed it afterward and they still kept that scene in there. Because I immediately started like looking up that. Yes. I was like, what the heck is going on? Like,
2: I thought she was dead and now she's oh, moving around. I didn't know that.
1: And the like, groaning. Yeah. yeah.
2: Interesting. You're talking about Mary. When Mary is shot in, in the water, you're talking about Mary when she gets shot in the water? Yeah.
1: And when they oh. find her and they pull her body back up to the house when they first get to her. Right. She's a lot. She's like moving around and alive. And like she's been on the. They had dinner. They did all
3: kinds of stuff. Right. They brought that back in the remake. So there was a remake of this movie in what, like, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah. Um, they brought that aspect back where that legitimately did happen, and I love that. It's almost like a Friday the Thirteenth thing. Like, oh, they're dead in the lake, but s- nope, they're still alive. Like, I think. We talked a lot about slashers recently, definitely with the Friday the Thirteenth episode and with Nightmare on Elm Street, with the Dream Nightmares episode. Um, this movie gave way more like guidance than I ever realized watching it now. So Trent, like this, I mean, this predated almost everything that we keep giving like the crown to, right. or like the, right. the responsibility for giving the roadmap to what you could do. Um, and yeah, I think it's probably left off the like the slasher uh, inspiration list because it doesn't it doesn't follow those rules. Just, but there's so so, yeah. so many scenes and and setups that slashers would go on to follow. Hey Kevin, Kevin, Hi. slash the leg, slash the leg, slash the leg,
1: sweep the leg, sweep the leg. <laughs> The Karate Kid. Yeah, karate I, know, kid. I know. That's what Karate I'm talking. Kid. Sweet. The boy. guy from Karate Kid is one of the. Bumbling oh Cops. Yeah, I, I, oh, he is really. He's a bad sensei from Karate Kid. Yeah, that's kid. N- Cobra Kai. Didn't notice. No yeah,
2: yeah. way. Yeah, that's yeah. um uh Martin Cove, who plays the villain in Karate Kid and now is in Cobra Kai. That's the deputy. That's why I'm saying slash the leg. It, it was driving me crazy the whole time. The first time, you know, I was like, that can't be that's not like a guy from a beloved 80s film. Like, I can't be. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, it is.
1: He's one of those guys that only came from the 80s that looked like they got shot with a BB gun in their chin, (laughs) like right here. (laughs) And they they only
2: existed in the 80s, and now they're gone. They're, like, evolved or something. I don't know what happened. Uh, Well, Kevin, you mentioned uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you mentioned, like, some of the slashers having roots in The Last House on the left. Uh, I, I would say TCM definitely took some inspiration, one of them being... The chainsaw, like yeah, right, the, the, right, that happens in this movie. Uh, I, I'd love to know where the first horror chainsaw was, but I bet that it wasn't a whole lot earlier than this. And Dave, you alluded to like some of the like the disparate juxtapositions of this movie, and I, I think that is a big part of what makes it so powerful. Because a lot of the scenes, especially the early scenes with with Mary and her family. Uh and, and with the cops especially too. It's like like you're watching like Bewitched or something, like some like seventies sitcom yeah. I thought Brady. So yeah, Brady Bunch, Brady Bunch. Yes. Bunch oh my god, it's Mike Brady mm-hmm. is uh Mr. Coolidge. Cooling <laughs> yeah. Coolidge, whatever the hell the name is. Um yeah, so then you're you're watching this like seventies sitcom and then and which is like very funny too, the whole setup with with Mary's family when she's going out to the show. That that whole thing is incredible. The whole conversation with her parents, I was just like dying it's so cringe and so mm-hmm. 70s and then the next thing you know you're like watching like the most brutal horrific like terrible assaults on like two 16 year old girls and it's very realistic because it's like so grainy and like low budget like mm-hmm. it's, it's like toggling back and forth between like this ridiculous sitcom stuff and like the worst shit you've seen
0: yeah
3: well the and the music is funny because uh so the 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 main the main villain in this is Krug. So we go all the way back to when we talked about Nightmare on Elm Street that Freddy Krueger was based on a bully from Wes Craven's past, and he had done it before Krueger with calling the main villain here Krug. Krug Stillo, uh, played by David Hess. And when we're talking about music, David Hess was barely an actor. He was actually a songwriter who co-writed like Elvis songs, Pat Boone, uh, a ton of songs in the 50s. But he apparently wanted to fashion himself an actor and was like a method actor. So whenever you hear method actor, I think it just means you're an asshole. And you show up (laughs) on set in character. You refuse to break it. If your name's fucking Chris, but your character's name is Krug, you yell at everyone that your name is Krug. Uh, And I guess this guy was super intense on set, which for an indie film where you don't really have like a lot of these, you know, support staff on set, if Krug wanted to act like Krug on set, that's kind of scary. And the actress that played uh, Mary, Sandra Peabody, um, and uh, who was her friend? What was her friend's name? Was that? uh, What's that? Yeah, Phyllis. Yeah, Lucy Grantham played Phyllis. Uh, they had a lot of stories, if you look up some uh, some interviews from the cast of Last House on the Left, that Krug was actually that scared. And some of the scenes that they were in, they were that scared. Uh, there is a very debatable uh, peeing your pants scene that I think sort of pop culture has taken off as being, like, legit. And the actress has said, no, that didn't actually happen. That was special effects. Um, Everyone denies it when they pee their pants. Even if it's in a famous movie. Not
1: ever If you pee your pants, you say you didn't pee your uh, pants. Not everyone. You spilled something on it.
0: I thought one of the most powerful scenes in the film was when the girls had just gotten to that apartment, and they just kept flashing back to when uh, Mary's parents are like getting the house oh ready my for the party. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think
0: that's when I knew that... Think I mean, I knew things were going to get real anyway because I just know of this movie. But when they just were going back and forth between the horrors that the girls were starting to go through with, like, Mary's parents being like, oh, oh we're decorating. Oh, 17th birthday. Yeah, like, oh, smooches, we're in love and we're old. Ha-ha. Like, it was just, like, a very... It was it was a rough watch, especially because of the soundtracks. Then it would be like that uplifting, like Brady Bunch, you know, like boppy, like boppy music while they're decorating, and then just to the horrors of that, that sad, scary apartment.
1: Kat, you were alluding to this a little bit, but this is like one of those movies that you every time you watch it, you still think that they're they might get away. Yeah like oh if For I sure. if I watch hard enough this time, it might get away and I'm like I'm still invested in it after seeing it, you know, probably 12 to 15 times in my life. Um but every time, the last time I watched it, I was like it's like nail biter. I was like, "Oh, she's going to get through the woods. Oh, he can't get over those rocks." And I'm like, "What am I thinking?"
3: It's cal- it's die. called uh, it's called Titanic yeah. syndrome, I think.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah there's some great like fake out you think you're going to get away stuff now, i love when phyllis thinks she's going to get away and she sees the road and sees traffic and her face like a smile breaks out on her face and then the machete goes in front of her not into her but like just shows the machete and has that weird sound like, brrr, yeah. like the old like 70s sound. it's like so scary david hess actually did uh, a lot of the soundtrack himself, who, who played Krug. Um, yeah, and I, I yeah, think that's the one music of the creepy guy. things about it. Like, yeah, there'll be like this, like weird, like singer-songwritery acoustic song, and like somebody's being horribly assaulted. So to get just a little bit further into the story, uh, the girls try to score some weed, and uh, they end up in the hands of this crew of criminals. Uh, Krug is the leader, and uh, my my breakout star for this actually was uh, Weasel. Character uh, played by uh, Fred Lincoln, who went on to do a whole bunch of porn after this. Not surprisingly, <laughs> nice. thank you, I, I, thank
3: you so much for bringing that. I was Fred I was keeping that card in my back pocket. I love Fred Lincoln um, as Weasel. But I love like, that. I love that you pulled it. Yeah, he's like Krug's like right hand man.
2: Um, his the last movie he was involved with was as recent as 2013, and it was called Evil Cuckold Two. Just to give you an <laughs> idea, of what he was up to in the 20 years after this. So it's those two guys and uh, Krug's son, Jr., who, is, uh, who Krug has addicted purposefully to heroin so that he can control him, and Sadie. their uh, their gal pal, who is described Mm. on radio reports as being animal-like. So the the girls fall into their hands, and of course they heard the radio report about these criminals early in the movie, but they did not heed uh, any warning of being where. Um, And then from there, it just goes into a bunch of brutal, horrible assault, and then the criminals end up through a complete happenstance. They end up, uh, when their car breaks down, they take refuge at Mary's parents' house, While they are there, the parents figure out who these guys are. And it goes into this like whole, I don't know, kind of thing about like revenge and um, vigilanteism, And I I feel like that part's kind of lost because like everybody gets just what they deserve in this movie. So I didn't really do like a whole lot of thinking about the nature of, of vengeance really that much. But I think that was kind of part of the point.
3: Oh, I thought I thought about it a ton because we just talked about uh, how Craven brought back or, or or maybe inspired the Home Alone sequence from Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> but you yeah. have a whole Nightmare on Elm Street se- or a Home Alone sequence in this where the dad yeah, is yeah. like booby trapping everything. He's using shaving oh, cream great. and he's doing all this like <laughs> super clever stuff. And I was like, Forks. man, Craven. <laughs> Like Christopher Columbus or whoever wrote the script for Home Alone needs to like be given the Craven estate like some serious royalties. But the dad is like so clever, but then he goes down to the basement and there's like a thousand scenes where there's a rifle just hanging there and it takes him forever to figure out that there's a fucking rifle in the basement that you can get. I know. He's looking
2: at wrenches and like trash can covers. He has a rifle right there.
3: (laughs) So many classic slasher moments in this movie where it takes like way too long, like slow moving, not running, like very lame kill scenes. But what I will say uh, that you just mentioned, Trent, like, you know, some of like the 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 back half of the film's violence is directed at the antagonists. And I think like what I was like sort of disappointed with, and I was attributing to like cheap budget, like low budge film. I think that that might've been on purpose because if we got like all of the gratuitous violence in the first half of the film, when it was the antagonists against right. the protagonists, right. how would we have felt if we got all of that violence Against the antagonist from the protagonist, like it's a really delicate balance. They walk, they they sure. walk here with the violence. Like it, it, it is still silly with like the Home Alone sequence, but we do have to like look at it through a lens of was this intentional or again or is most of like the the dawning of of, of American horror just accidental? I, I would like to think it was intentional, but I mean, who knows? The
1: things I noticed with like. 70s movies is they usually have one climax uh in the film like they don't do all this gore they don't open with gore and then have gore all the way through i mean sometimes they do a little bit uh you know like the giallo stuff's a lot different but i noticed that just like american horror movies tend to have like the gory stuff at the end and that's like their big payoff and i don't know uh, it got, we got less of a kill count, but mm. the, the, there's always like one extreme thing in a '70s movie, like oh, the movie where he they put him in the meat grinder, or like <laughs> you know the movie where she bites his dick off, like that's this was that movie, the yeah. movie that she bites his dick off.
0: I think that something that's, I, I don't know if powerful is the right word, something that I feel like was um, very. uh Disheartening, effective maybe is that this one had an evil like woman in it, Sadie. You know, she was this woman who was crazy and as evil as the dudes that she was with, if not more so. Um, and Ride she was, or die. and she was, you know, committing these atrocities against other women as opposed to you know men. And that's something that I feel like I don't know if it had been in any other movies until until this one, or before this one. Uh, but it's just, like, kind of unsettling, especially, like, as a lady, to be like, wait, I thought we we're on, like, the same team. Why are you doing this? Mm. It kind of, re- you know, it kind of mm. reminds me of, like, when I, like, get aggressively catcalled by other women. And I'm like, what the fuck? I thought, hey, man. Like, I thought we we're in this together. Like, why are you coming at me with that energy? So I thought that part was...
1: Sadie will fuck you up.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah, you like, will. she Like, she...
1: She doesn't care. She's evil, dude. She's not trying to be like sisterly love. She's no. trying to well, kill. She everything. does do the
2: feminism speech when she starts talking about like, yeah, oh, don't god. you ever heard of feminism? <laughs>
0: Bitch, you ain't heard of chauvinist nothing. dog. Oh my, god. oh my god. Yeah, she was. It's pink. she was a tough watch for sure. Cause she, cause you're like, oh well, maybe this woman's gonna have sympathy for these two girls. Absolutely not. She's gonna fuck them up more than the guys would have given the opportunity. So that part I felt like was probably like the worst part of the whole watch for me, but she got her desserts as well. So Sadie, I thought Sadie could be on speak all evil
2: because of the way that she mispronounces words. I think she would be right home <laughs> on this show when she starts <laughs> speak, for yourself. speak like for yourself. Uh, she starts talking about Sigmund Fried and like she says, uh, Palace or whatever for a phallus. Like she can't say anything. I was like, oh a potential co-host.
3: You you guys um, talk about Sadie, but uh Mary's mom. In in the very beginning of the movie, we just talked about this, about how the lack of bras was a thing in mm. like 80s horror. <laughs> the very beginning of the movie, Mary comes downstairs so and good. her dad is literally like, uh, no bra. And Mary's like, <laughs> <So> nobody <laughs> wears those anymore. <laughs> And then dad dad goes on to point out to mom, like, hey, you can see your nipples plain as day. <laughs> it's so cringe. I was like, okay, so that's where we're at in this movie right now. Uh, who's worse, uh, the criminals or the parents? That I, whole I mean scene, that very oh jokingly. Oh, my God. But it so sort of sets up like the like gender the gender setup is very, very clear in this movie. Um, and I thought it was not hilarious, but very poignant that, like, oh, we just joked about how no, you can't be in a slasher movie if you're wearing a bra. And this movie <laughs> literally set that rule, like, in an actual yeah. scene.
2: Well, the very first thing established in the movie is that it's Mary's 17th birthday. And then it shows the mailman calling her a fine piece. Yeah. And then the yeah, next yeah. thing it shows you is her naked in the shower, full move, like, oh, she's uh, just about to turn 17. Okay. She's a fine piece who's now naked in the shower right away. Not Mm -hmm. a little bit naked, like a lot naked. Um, I I loved that whole horrible, uncomfortable scene with the parents. That's kind of what is part of what sets it sets you off kilter. Uh, my favorite line of that was when she says "tits." Mary says "tits," and her dad is like, "Yeah, I guess tits. What's this tits business?" I feel like I'm back in the barracks. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene is so really bad. It's so it's very early in the movie too, um, but also like like the cops thing, the cop thing that you mentioned, Trent. Like the the whole cop sequence in this, when the cops are trying to get to the Collingwoods' house, is one of the most comically slasher moments in the history of slasher cinema it really where it's is. like you could have gotten there so much quicker like how i, I mean i know the budget was run out 80, of gas. <laughs> uh but like let's have the cops break down let's have a chicken truck show up let's have them try to ride on the hood and then they fall off the hood the chickens fall off the back of the truck it's like what the fuck like it's such a bizarre movie and like how all the scenes that we've talked about that are very impactful, I remember. They stay with me. But every scene that we're talking about that's laughing, like we laugh at it. I, I never remember any time I watch it until I watch or, like, in, or, or any time until I watch the actual movie.
1: I feel like when 70s movies and I've actually older classic stuff has become like more. I don't know. I like it more now. I, I think it's cute, like, when they make mistakes, with before I would hold right. them to a standard of right. stuff we watch now. Yeah. But now that I kind of learn about the people making it and um, just thinking that they're like old cats now and they had, like, the technology is insanely different and people are doing all these crazy things and chopping film and, you know, editing audio together with tape machines, you know, so... I have a lot of respect for this stuff. And when they do have shortcomings, I just think it's cute. It's like, oh, they don't know that you can just explode their eyeballs now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they, all these like work around, this one especially has a lot of work around gore. Yeah. Where you just kind of see them like lean into it. Like, oh, I stabbed you without even as much as, as like a sound effect. It's just kind of like you see the blood afterwards. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I, w- I wish it was, like, a little gore- gorier. I feel like there was a lot of gore.
3: Well, maybe not a lot, I, but there was definitely the Italian stuff. I feel like
1: the there Italian was plenty. I feel intest- like there was plenty. Oh, there oh, was plenty. Oh, <laughs> uh,
3: the intestines. So there's really nobody, like, attributed to, like, all of the effects on this movie. I think everybody was sort of, like, chiming in. Um, but the intestine scene, Trent, that you were talking about, Fred Lincoln, who played Weasel, like, helped craft them. With condoms filled with fake blood and sand. Like so that's like that's that's how indie we're getting here. It was really good. Like I watched this twice, once not knowing that, and then again knowing that, and I was like, damn, like you guys did a good job. They did a good job in a lot of things in this movie, and a bad job in a lot of things in this movie. Overall. It is fun. And Dave, I love hearing you say that. And I've definitely felt that from you in recent weeks when we're talking about movies that you were maybe a little like cold on, that like you're starting to appreciate. And that's one of my favorite things about being pummeled by horror every week is you have to start to like drop things into buckets of appreciation. It might not be great, but you have to start dropping it into buckets and timelines of how did it progress horror we love horror and we're at a place in horror now that i think is fantastic and where do these things like actually fall into the timeline of of progressing it and making it better or meaningful
1: it's like you could watch someone play basketball and like you could it'd be entertaining or whatever but it'd be way more entertaining if you could watch a caveman play basketball with a rock <laughs> <laughs>
2: And that's what I feel like when I watch old horror. <laughs> that's brilliant. Uh, well, I just wanted to mention, Kevin. You reminded me. You talked about the the lore behind the lore of like. David Hess, who plays Krug, being the method actor who people were scared of on the set and didn't break character and brandished a knife and all that—I feel like that's pretty well established, like lore bait for horror movies. It's always like the lore of the guy who didn't break character and everyone was scared of him. And I, and I take that with a grain of salt, especially with this movie, because I meant to point out the beginning of the episode. This was an early example where a movie traded on its own controversy and advertised its own depravity. The, the tagline for this movie was, uh, tell yourself it's only a movie. It's only a movie. So it kind of like, it put that right out there. This is so horrifying and terrible that it, it traded on its own controversy. So um, that's a pretty important example. And I would be very curious if anybody wants to hit me up or hit us up on the various uh, platforms. I would like to know um, if anyone has an example of an earlier dick bite in horror, or an earlier chainsaw. Those would be two things I'd be
0: interested
3: in. I will say the method actor thing, I think I believe it more when it's coming from an independent horror film more than when I hear like, oh, like uh, Charlize Theron went method actor on this. I believe it way more when you have people that are like, oh, well, you know, you know what? Um David Hess went like full method actor and acted like Krug the entire time. Then it's like, well, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, maybe I feel like Charlize that's Theron. Well, but I mean, they do it they yeah. do it with blockbusters too. Like I believe it more than, well, yeah, Charlize Theron showed up and and went method acting, but she also still went back to a trailer or a luxury hotel. True.
2: D- David Hess was at least a stranger. They didn't know David Hess. Right, he wasn't like a star. Like they weren't afraid of John Malkovich; they were afraid of this guy, this (laughs) musician guy who
3: showed up. Actually, probably a fucking narcissist or sociopath, and made everyone uh, Uh, everyone's lives hell
2: on the movie. You don't know this guy. I saw an interview with him from like ten years ago. He seemed really nice. He seemed like a nice guy. Why you spreading rumors?
3: (laughs) Why you spreading rumors about him?
1: It's bad enough that we already said where they live. Last house on the left.
0: Yes, and all of the things that I said that I wanted Come rushing by in my head when I meet you Fourteen joys and a will to be merry All of the things that they say are merry
2: All right, for my second kick Of the 70s, I'm already regretting that I haven't made this episode more about me than it's been, but now I get to go again. Uh, I wanted to get like toward the end of the decade and talk about something totally different from The Last House on the left. So I chose the 1977 film Suspiria, directed by Dario Argento, written by he and uh, Daria Nicolotti, I believe was his girlfriend at the time, an uh, actress in her own right, This is free on Tubi right now with ads, uh, which is I do not recommend watching this movie that way. Um, You can also (laughs) rent it on Alamo On Demand. (laughs) I've never heard of Alamo On Demand, but it worked great. It's a good one-stop shop rental site. Those are the only two places you can watch Suspiria right now, which is kind of weird because this is the first of a trilogy of films that Argento would do, known as the Three Mothers trilogy, and it's all based on this like very some poem thing from like 1845 is very again very high-minded inspirations uh for this and he would do a sequel not a sequel but the second film of the trilogy is called inferno in 1980 and that's everywhere you can watch that on shutter right now you can rent that anywhere um and then the the final uh film called Mother of Tears, which is actually a favorite of mine. I love Mother of Tears. I think it's very underseen. That didn't come out until 2007, and that one also is a little bit harder so to, to find. So it's unfortunate, I think, that some of this stuff might be starting to get lost in the digital age. Suspiria, to me, is a classic. There was obviously a, a much-Ballyhooed remake uh, a couple of years ago, I didn't care for it as much, but this is the story of young Susie Banyan, who is uh, a, a young American ballet dancer, and she has decided that she's going to travel abroad and study dance at the most esteemed dance academy in all of Europe. A little voiceover gives you the, uh, the setup here. Uh, as soon as she arrives, of course, at the academy, things start uh, going sideways, as they tend to do here. The first thing before she even gets inside, uh, someone is running away from the school, babbling nonsense and turns up dead in what I think is probably one of the greatest like, set-piece murders Ever in, in, in all of horror, and people like keep dropping off from there. And Susie has to figure out what the heck is going on here. Um, I love this movie. I, it's just like a great eye candy movie. This is ultra stylized. This is a world away from the grimy realism of Last House on the Left. This is like a dream, basically. And it's kind of all about the visuals. Reminded me actually of The Shining more than I expected. I haven't seen this in a long time. Um, But I I think this is a really, really fun movie. Kevin, what would you think?
3: Uh, I'm going to go and pull a a wild card here. I'm going to go Uno. And I'm going to reverse the table. I'm going to say, let's go Dave. Give me your take first. Let's go backwards.
1: Wow. I wasn't ready for that. I was was over here snoozing. (laughs) Um, I thought you were just going to say that you didn't like it. I thought that was going to be the the uno card you were going to pull um i i like this suspiria i do i i get bored of it It, i do find it a little bit boring uh in like the story yeah um i there's other giallo i feel like that is a little more compelling as far as creating a a mystery that's kind of the whole vibe so it's cool that he broke a little bit out of the giallo with this and this is kind of to me uh he dario argento got more and more americanized as he made movies um and i i feel like it wasn't necessarily a bad thing but this this is the beginning of that style coming out um of argento and like you said i totally got kubrick vibes um not just um you know, the shining, but clockwork orange, Mm. um, just, just the set design. And like, that's the main, the main thing about this whole movie is that the set design, it's a lot of the scares are in the architecture of this house and the weird open spaces. Uh, and you know, I like the, that it's like a ballet school. It's very, uh, gives you that black swan like yeah competitive vibe yeah,
2: definitely
1: um, and i and goblin um i love the soundtrack and this is like the polar opposite of how inappropriate i thought some of the last house in the left soundtrack was uh, this <laughs>
3: yeah, thank you
1: this is like some top notch uh like all the italian stuff is usually very good although it can also have the disco funk in it, which, I don't know, I don't want funk mixed with my horror. I No one has pulled that off for me yet, but Goblin kills it with this, like, right from the beginning, uh, and that was my only criticism, um, well, not my only criticism, one of my major criticisms of the remake, uh, Tom York did the soundtrack, and I was like, what the heck, like, can we get someone scary? <laughs> can we please get someone scary to do the soundtrack, because we don't need ethereal beauty and, like, weird chords we need like you know weird like synthesizers that that make your skin crawl and that's exactly what this does uh so yeah i I don't love suspiria but it's one of the best of the 70s for sure
0: what a beautiful movie i thought it was a gorgeous film aesthetically for sure um, the colors themselves, I thought made it just spectacular to watch, but the spooky su- supernatural story line really makes it a, a very fun watch for me. Um, I thought Jessica Harper was great as Susie. She's obviously a great actress and really made that part very believable and fun f- to watch her unravel, you know, throughout the whole thing. You know, it starts off with a bang with that death of Pat, you know, and her friend and that beautiful stained glass scene with the subsequent death that also stems from that. Um, It basically sets you up to know exactly what you're getting into for the rest of the movie. And I thought that was probably my favorite part was that opening death scene. Um, Yeah, same. For sure. The, the gore in this film might be the most beautiful gore I've ever seen besides <laughs> evil dead Two, um, Cause I do love me some fluorescent blood. Um, it's so bright that it doesn't even seem like gore at all. It just seems like art, which I think is mostly what this film is. It's basically what it's going for. And then there's the lighting. <sighs> the lighting is so intentional and so necessary in every way that, you know, exactly what emotion you should be feeling where your attention should be and what feeling the character is going through in that moment. Um, I love the whole coven aspect. Obviously, look at me. Um, You know, I was wondering what kind of evil thing was going on um, at this creepy dance school. (laughs) (laughs) Look look at me. Look at me. Um, Very much some Rosemary's Rosemary's Baby vibes going on, obviously. Big fan. Um, I honestly would have loved some more dance scenes, though, if I'm being honest. Give me some ballerinas doing an intricate dance number covered in blood, a.k.a. give me a spookier black swan, please. I just want bloody dancers running around in their little little ballerina points, to be honest. But it was a great movie, terrifying ending. It all felt resolved. I was very happy to see it. I loved it. Fuck yeah.
3: All right. This is one of my favorite movies, Trent, that you have picked since Killing of a Sacred Deer.
0: Oh, right. Oh, I
3: really wow. Uh, which I, which I lost my good. mind on. Um, I, <laughs> I hadn't watched this movie in a long time. and But, but interestingly, recently, in one of my many flights home and, and from Memphis, I had watched the remake, which should... Whoever made the remake, I didn't even write down their name just go away forever please <laughs> uh, because this is one of the most important horror movies of all time it's not Jalo this is early slasher uh, yeah it in it, no, it's it, supernatural in, yeah supernatural it, it incorporates a lot of things like we just talked about a movie that was last house on the left that was like very seminal in 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 incorporating slasher rules, this one, uh, like, bucked it. This movie is unbelievable. Uh, His ability to tell this story with minimal, uh, what I'll call, informational scenes is very impressive. And he opts for, like, quick dialogue, interactive, like, social scenes. And then he relies on a very long, like, suspense death scene unreal like think about Suspiria like you get you get very little information about the movie you don't know what the fuck is happening with with Susie Banyan and then you get like these long drawn out scenes of someone's gonna die here and Argento pulls it off perfectly like think about the scene with the dog and the piano player like out in the courtyard and all of a sudden, you're like, what the fuck is happening? Like, why is this taking, like, eight minutes? Well, it's because Argento is an absolute genius. Um, I love this. I never thought of this, like, in, in the context of, like, The Exorcist until I started researching the movie. And then you see that, like, critics were, like, relating this movie to The Exorcist. Um, I never would have thought of uh, thought about this in that sense. But... Think about it. Like, it really does sort of, like, ape on some stuff of The Exorcist. Like, this was Argento saying, here's my Exorcist. I also, like, love the fact that he spun this tale in 95 minutes. I I always assumed from my previous viewings of Speria that Argento, this was a two-hour movie. Nope. He gave it to us in an hour and a half. The 2018 remake was 700 hours, as far as I remember, it. <laughs> and I, I just watched that. Like I said, but uh, Trent, this this was an unbelievable pick, and this, in my opinion, is just as important as TCM, as F13. As anything, as any horror that came before the 80s or the 90s, uh, this is one of the most important horror movies that has ever been made to progress us into the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, this, yeah, this is as, uh,
2: as ultra-stylized as anything you're going to see. Right away, the, the first thing, the first opening, when Susie is arriving in Germany, it's like a pouring a downpour, a rainstorm, like cats and dogs and everything is like red or green it's all these like bright primary colors everywhere even when she's just in the cab she's always in this like red light or they're passing by red lights and she gets to the school it's just like these facades that were built mostly I, there was a lot of like building of set pieces for this movie and these like amazing like bright red facades even the, um, the apartment building that she ends up going to later everything is just like so vibrant the colors are so amazing that that first murder that we talk about where the, the woman who's fleeing the school winds up dead through the stained glass. And, um, I love the maggots. Ooh. There's a whole scene where like the school is just
0: like, it's raining maggots. And it, <laughs> How many maggots had <laughs> so, to die for this film is what I want to know. Cause there were a lot of boots stomping <laughs> on a lot of maggots. I bet PETA would not oh, be wow. very happy. If this it was right <laughs> It
3: was rice. But like Trent, like what you're talking about, like um Argento had a lot to do with this movie, obviously. And then cinematographer uh Luciano Tovoli. Uh they were going for like a really color presentation, like you were talking about, where they were referencing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and The Wizard of Oz. They wanted like a hard technicolor presentation of this movie. They right. wanted the colors yeah. of this movie to be like and if you notice i didn't notice this until i started researching the movie if you watch it there's no red colors in the movie until there's blood so argento was like do not do hard red colors in the movie until there's blood Um, i feel like there's quite a bit of red though
2: before the blood because uh the the taxi cab scene has all these like red lights that are shining on on Susie, and then when she gets to the school, the school is red. And then when it shows,
3: it's purple. Look at it. Look at watch it. It's purple.
2: And then when it shows um, the the girl who ran from the school, she goes to the apartment building. The apartment building is red also, and she gets in the the uh, the elevator. That the amazing elevator. elevator scene, which was very shiny. Yeah, too. Yeah. Like, that's all red Fair. in there.
1: She has a red drink, and that other scene, she has a red pencil, and that guy has that red car. <laughs> and then those other people have all those red shirts. <laughs> but the worst part of all is the ones with the red hats. Um I, I definitely should have rented this on Alamo because uh they also rent cars. But I watched it with commercials. Yeah. So you guys I, are I, talking I about this in a lean 95 minutes For me, it was not lean. Like I went on (laughs) some site, and I watched it all day. (laughs) It's an hour 40. It's an hour 40 without commercials. I said, 70s horror uh, is targeting um, people with herpes is what must watch Suspiria. (laughs) That's what I texted you guys at, because I watched it with commercials.
0: Um, I watched this also on Tubi with commercials, and I have to say, I didn't get any ads for um, any herpes medication, so... I uh, think it might it's be so a targeted it's, it's, situation. I, I know, I'm, sur- <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you're yeah, bringing that up is. again
2: after we talked about it on the thread. It's like the, uh, it's like the conservative Christian like politician who posts online, like, why am I getting all these gay cruise ads? The world is going <laughs> to hell. What reason for that might be?
1: <laughs> I always wonder that whenever commercials come on, I wonder, like, you know. What is this algorithm? I mean, because, I mean, you can't get herpes from masturbating. I mean, so what's your computer really know about your love
2: life? I mean. <laughs> um, well, to, to get back into the story a little bit here, I mean, Thank the story is, uh, is pretty loose with this movie. Well, there isn't really too far to go because Susie just gets, you know, gets to the school and people start dying. And you realize that the people that are running the school are in – there's some sort of cabal. Some sort of evil is going on within the school. There are some great performances by the teachers, the headmasters, and the instructors and stuff at the school. Um, The Seeing Eye Dog guy gets a great death scene where his own dog attacks and kills him and spends a good few minutes, like, pulling pieces out of his neck. I Mm thought the the Seeing Eye Dog did a great job in this. Um, And then (laughs) – it, the only part where yeah. I would it, it, where it sags to me is is where it has to explain the story. I did think, Kevin, that there was a little bit like you get like two thirds into this movie and everything has been top notch. You've seen um, the barbed wire pit, mm. that, not barbed wire, but like razor wire. Yeah, yeah. like yes. somebody just yeah. falls into like a, a random bit of razor wire in the school. You've seen a lot of great stuff, um, but then I feel like right at the point where it should like really start ramping you up for the finale. It it gets a little explainy. I felt like there's a section where it's just like a bunch of, it's a lot of dialogue exposition where people are explaining things to other people. And you get the whole legend of the, the founder of this school may have been a witch and they talk about witchcraft and stuff. So I don't know. I thought like during that part of the movie, I thought I should have been being ramped up a little more and not have to listen to so much explaining stuff that doesn't really matter. Cause it's not like it, it's not like it really means anything. It's like, Oh, they're, maybe they're witches there. yeah. And then I, I, I felt like it was a little anticlimactic. I think this movie is a little front loaded would be my only criticism.
3: I, I disagree. I, I totally disagree. Um, I think Argento's ability to like tell the story with minimal um like informational scenes in in the front half of the movie is impressive. Yeah. Like he opts yeah, for absolutely. like some some like quick dialogue and interactive social scenes and then he relies on like very long suspense and death scenes. Um it's It's unique. It's like, I don't think it's ever been done. Like he was totally taking it away from the Jalo thing. He was pulling from the Jalo thing, but he was definitely expanding upon it. Um, So then when in like the back third of the movie, when he does give you some like very informational scenes, uh, I mean, he he was changing our expectation of like how a horror movie should go. Um, like you know like like a minute like an hour into the movie or so, like you get a full download from like the doctor. Um I was fine with that. Like if I watched a movie like that now, I would be annoyed. But I I, I totally appreciated what Argento did to that point where he would give us like like the intro scene is what Wes Craven ripped off for Scream, and then you get 20 minutes before you get uh, any, like, a two-minute informational scene. And then you get 20 minutes, and then an informational scene. And then you get 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden it's like an info dump. Uh, it was a really, really good uh, experiment on how to do a horror movie. I Like, we all have to watch that movie through that lens and appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I guess it, it is... It is um like unexplained through a lot of it, I, I didn't really appreciate that as much. But now that you mention it, I, I can see that it it does really, it doesn't spoon feed things to you until that one part where I, I did think it got a little uh, a little explainy. But uh, but sure, I, I will agree that up until that point, um, it's pretty well done. Just in it just gives you this the the scenes, it just gives you the the happenings, and it doesn't try to do too much.
1: The characters are great. I feel like it it relies a lot on the characters more than the story and like a lot of a lot of the earlier uh Italian stuff to me like the stories aren't there like they're not that crazy and sometimes you can see what's happening from a mile away but it's not about that you know what i mean it's it's about the aesthetic of everything the mood they set mm-hmm. the the over Long, uh, you know, death scenes. I feel like that's where like American 70s horror kind of was failing and Italian horror was winning with like the gore scenes. Like they weren't faking it with some knife. They were like getting in there with some clay and making some weird shit. Mm -hmm. Like it's grimy. I like it. It's grimy, but it's beautiful. But it's definitely not like focused on some, you know, linear story that you'd expect, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, just talking about characters, I think it's interesting that the most of, I mean, basically the entire cast of this movie is ladies. I think there's like three male characters and then it's just women running the school. There's like the weird, you know, lurch looking dude who likes the lighter and then like the hot ballerina man and then the blind guy oh i guess that child also the dude child but other than that it's all ladies carrying the whole yeah. thing so yep. that was that was definitely interesting for sure and you knew where the focus was supposed to be uh well kevin
2: as you mentioned this this was the first uh, foray into like fully supernatural horror for Argento. He had done what are now some of the most acclaimed Jala movies, like Deep Red, for example, I think was 75. That was right before Suspiria. And this is where he started to get into the, the, the full-on horror stuff. We talked about opera, I meant to mention as well. And opera is one of my very, very favorite Argento movies. So mm-hmm. between Suspiria and opera, if you like that kind of stuff, I would definitely recommend Inferno, from 1980 that's on shutter and that's a rental anywhere inferno is very very good and if you are really dedicated to this mother of tears uh stars uh, argento's daughter asia and uh feature is a scene where somebody gets uh, strangled to death with their own entrails mm. which is something i feel like we should see a lot more of that mm. in these movies and like they hardly ever it's like the most obvious thing like you pull the guts out <laughs> you strangle them with the guts oh so that obvious. Yeah. It's yeah. obvious yeah it's the like, most obvious thing <laughs> That happens in Mother of Tears, and uh, that's one of my favorite scenes of that. So I would recommend, uh, if if you're not familiar with Argento, uh, we're kind of telling you where to start.